0: Welcome to the CLB Forge Podcast, brought to you by CLB North American Mission. This is a show to help equip you and your church for mission, ministry, and multiplying disciples.
1: Welcome to Episode 90. I'm Ryan Nilsson. And I'm Mike Natal. We are your hosts, and this is part three of our Teamwork Series. The Teamwork Series is all about how we can forge the tools, the skills, the methods of work, the healthy culture, and attitude that we need to work together in our churches. Well, Episode 90 is a standalone episode. You can feel free to listen to it straight through, even if you have no pre-existing knowledge of our podcast. We wanted to encourage you that Episode 90 is actually a continuation, or maybe an elaboration, if that's even a word, I might've just made that up, which is great. Webster's check me out where we elaborate off of a point that we made on episode 87. So if you'd like maybe a little bit more context to episode 90, as we're talking about making decisions together, check out episode 87. Where point five in that episode is actually laying out the foundation for making decisions together. So that's going to be our topic for this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Whenever you're listening to us, that is what we're going to be discussing now. And so, Ryan, I wanted to just kind of lay out the point, and then I would love it if you would unpack it a little bit further for us. So, our first point of making decisions together in our teamwork series is to empower teams through decision-making authority.
0: This is really important. Decision-making is a, a key thing about healthy teams. And so we're devoting a whole episode to this topic. And just to start off with, I just want to talk a little bit about the relationship of decision-making with a team and the, the authority that you can give a team. So if you're a senior leader, and and you are about to create a team. So let's say you're a pastor or an elder or something like that. And you're about to start a new ministry. Maybe you're a part of designing that ministry yourself. You want to think through carefully about how you can empower the leaders on that team through the type of authority that you give them. And so authority is another way of saying decision-making ability or power that you have the right to make certain kinds of decisions. And we've talked about this on past episodes. Again, check out 84 and 87 if you want to hear a little bit more about that. As senior leaders, if you're a key leader in the church, a pastor, an elder, something like that, you want to retain responsibility that things in the church are under your care and your shepherding, and you ultimately are responsible for that. But you want to delegate and give away and entrust to others Decision-making rights or abilities or what we call authority. And that can be a really tricky balance for leaders to manage. And so it's important to think about how you can set up the teams you create to make decisions well. So this first point is really about before the team even exists, before it's off the ground, you want to think through what kind of authority you want that team to have. Healthy leaders, again, they retain responsibility, but they delegate authority. However, there are some patterns that aren't very helpful that we tend to gravitate towards. So I want to talk about these briefly. If you want to empower a group of leaders, that the Lord brings qualified, capable leaders through our churches at times, and yet they can get frustrated and leave quickly because we've handled that decision-making authority poorly in giving it or withholding it from a team. Here are some ways that we tend to handle that decision-making power in, in less than healthy ways. So there's a, a Christian leadership writer named Aubrey Malfors, and he came up with these three terms that I just thought are a great way to kind of summarize some of the default behaviors that we take with decision-making that just kind of help put, put this in context for us. So the first one that he talks about is called directing. And that's when the established leader retains both authority and responsibility. If you're starting out a new team or sending out a new leader on something, you keep both responsibility and authority. And that means you keep all the decision-making to yourself. That's okay when you're starting or onboarding a new leader, but it's very negative when you're leading a qualified leader, a competent leader, or if you do that on a permanent basis with a new team. So it's okay to say, hey, new team, new leader. You're eventually going to be making these decisions on your own. But for the first few weeks or months, Before you make any decisions, I want you to just check with me first. Let me know what you think we should be doing. And I'll just give you the thumbs up on doing that. So that's okay at the start. But if you always operate that way, it's going to be so demotivating and demoralizing. Your team members are not going to feel like team members. They're going to feel like drones, that you don't care about their ability to make decisions, to evaluate, to assess, that you don't trust them, and that you think of yourself that much more highly than you do of them and you will lose those qualified leaders. They are going to find other places to serve. So you want to avoid doing the directing for very long. Again, it's okay at the start, but you better not do it for very long. Second one is abdicating. And that's where an established leader, the person in in senior leadership, gives away both authority and responsibility. So you can go ahead and make whatever decisions you want to make, but also this is all on you, whether it succeeds or fails goes well great good for you if it fails it's not my fault it's your fault and you're not going to get any support from me now nobody says it just like that but with our actions our behaviors we can communicate that unfortunately and this makes setting up a new team for decision making success difficult because there's no connection between the senior leaders of the church and this new team or this new leader and that established leader or leadership team feels no responsibility for the new ministry that's starting or the new team. And that's just a shame. And sometimes churches do this. I've seen this where they like, they start a new ministry and they somehow think, well, it's not really part of our church. Like this is some kind of second class ministry or some kind of outside ministry. That's not really us. And it's the most vibrant thing the church is doing. And yet for some reason, they don't see it as a part of their church. Maybe because they don't have a participating in some of the leadership decisions or they're not a part of that team. I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons why. And I think they're well-intentioned when you're in that situation, but that's a dangerous pattern to get into. And then the third one that Malfurst talks about is disabling. And that's where instead of keeping responsibility and giving away authority, the leader gives away responsibility, but keeps the authority. This doesn't go well. It's your fault, but I'm going to be making all the decisions for you. And so the problem there is your team or your new leader, they don't learn how to make decisions. It just cripples them. Again, demotivates and demoralizes. So we want to be in a pattern where we're clear with our new leaders or our new teams about what kinds of decisions we're asking them to be making. And if we're concerned, if we don't want to make certain types of decisions or we don't want to make the decisions that go off in some direction that doesn't line up with our church, we need to give them those guidelines at a time. And of course, you can always say, yeah, if you need some input or you got a question... If you're not sure, come and see us. But overall, we're entrusting these kinds of decisions to you. And when you don't do that, man, it can really kill those new teams before they're even out of the gate. So any thoughts on that, Mike, before we go to number two?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is just being prepared ahead of time. I think that that really yeah, creates yeah. a healthy environment for people to thrive in. A lot of times, like a great if point. you're reactionary we'll call it. It's very hard for people to come alongside you or even for you to delegate things out because if you're reactionary, you're not really sure what you're doing. So you have no idea how to ask a person to help you. Mm -hmm. And so I think like number one, and as I'm reading ahead too, a lot of these all have to do with making sure that you as a leader are prepared to know what you need so that you can effectively communicate that with your leaders or with people who are willing to come alongside you and help you. Because if people want to help and they ask you, hey, how can I help you? And you're like, uh, mm, uh, I I don't know, as opposed <laughs> yeah. to yeah. people knowing the direction that you're going in, they're much more apt to come alongside you because they know what the roles are. And I'm not saying like you can't ask people like, hey, would you be willing to do this? I'm not saying don't do that. but What I'm saying is like when you have a clear vision I think more people are apt to say, oh, I can get behind that. And I want to be a part of that. What are some things that I can help with, with that vision, as opposed to the reactionary aspect of it, where it's like, we don't really know where we're going. We're just kind of doing church and however it goes, it goes. I think you're going to struggle with having people come alongside you. So yeah, definitely empowering teams through decision-making means being prepared yourself too, for what decisions need to be made. So that's number one. So now number two, it says, be clear about when you want to empower an individual in decision-making or involve the whole team. Can you explain that to us a little bit?
0: There are some different types of decisions, right? And we, we talked about this a little bit in episode 87, where there are times where it just makes more sense for one person to make a decision on their own. If you're a pastor and you've got a staff team, you may want to ask a staff member to make a decision on their own, rather than trying to do it by committee. Some decisions, they just need research or time to think, it just makes more sense for one person to do that. Then there are other times where, especially probably where you you need a variety of opinions, you need to give some thought to the decision. Those are the kinds of decisions that are better made as a group. But it's just good to think through carefully what kind of decision-making process you want to follow, whether it's a group or an individual. A lot of us come with solo decision-making experience, and that can make it harder for us to participate in group decisions. So if you're used to doing things on your own, it's good to stop and realize, okay, I'm a part of a team and I need to involve the rest of my team in making this decision. And then also you don't want to be leading a team and allow the group, ask them to be involved in a decision-making process, but then ultimately you're the one that actually makes the decision. You don't want to do that either. And then there are other times where you can invest in the growth of an emerging leader by empowering them, delegating a decision to them to make So be clear about what's going to be an individual decision, what's going to be a group decision. There are appropriate times for each. One of the main things that I think is really important is that individual decisions still can involve the team. They still can involve aspects of the whole church community. Because I think when an individual is entrusted with making a decision, getting input from other people is really important. And so if you are going to be entrusting a member of your team or an individual on your staff to go out and make a big decision. One of your guidelines you give to them is, you need to have all the input that you need before you make your decision. And when you think you're ready to make your decision, come back to me and tell me who you've spoken with. Who have you listened to? Who have you shared this idea, your potential decision, and you've asked them what they've thought? Who are those people and what have they told you? And so this gives you a chance to get input from stakeholders from people who have something at stake, people who have something to gain or lose by the decision that you're about to make, people who are affected by the decision you're going to make, or people who are just wise counselors in your church that can give you good ideas and feedback, people who have experience in the area of ministry that you're working in. You want to get input from people. So even when you delegate a decision like that, you may want to say, "Hey, check back in with me," and then let's hear who you asked. And if You notice like there's several people they haven't gone to and chances are there are people in church that we avoid because we're intimidated by them or we don't know them very well or we don't connect well. You may need to encourage that person, okay, you're not ready to make this decision yet because you still need to go out and ask this person, this person, and this person. So even in an individual setting, it's important that you help that person seek input from other people. And then again, whether it's an individual making decision or a group, if you're the leader, be careful not to rob them of the decision at the end. So when they've done their research, when they've gotten input from people, when they have arrived at their conclusion, if it's an individual, don't say, okay, I'm going to approve that now. Well, no, you already gave them the ability to make that decision. Or if it's a committee or a team, you're not like the final double check on that team's decision. You make that decision
1: together as a team. A hundred percent. And this is speaking from my own weakness, dude. (laughs) Like, (sighs) here's the other thing. As I hear you talking about this too, about being clear about empowering individuals, not only do you need to empower, you need to be patient too. You might delegate something out to an individual and they might not do it the exact way that you would do it. They might not do it as effectively. They might not do it as succinctly. They might not do it in the exact time frame that you want to do it. And like I said, dude, I am preaching to the choir right now because this is my problem. A lot of times I delegate stuff out and then I have that feeling like, okay, but like, what if this, I have time to do that right now. I can do that. And I I don't know if later on I'm going to have time to do it. And so if they fail or if they don't accomplish the task and it falls back on me, I would have had time to do it now. So I want to say like patience is another important thing about delegating decision making out is just wait on it. And I can tell you that over this past week, I'll bet you my wife, if she edits this episode, she's going to crack up laughing at this point because I just had a situation (laughs) like that where (laughs) I had a situation delegated out and I should have just been patient and waited on it. And instead I didn't. And I did it at least a portion of it. And that person had it all together and done and ready to go. And so I did a portion of it and then they showed up and they were like, yep, here it is. And I was like, okay, let's hide the portion in which I already did. And we're going to let you run with it. And it's just interesting along those lines because yeah. So you reading that dude, I was like, that's me a hundred percent. I just need to be patient when I delegate it out (laughs) and just trust that the person is going to be there and accomplish the task that you've delegated them to do. That's so good, Mike. Thanks for sharing that. Man,
0: I, I feel you too. I've been there. I think this is such a huge challenge for us as leaders. And we may have some objections like, well, I operate this way for some good reasons. And and I just want to challenge you to rethink some of these things. Like for example, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about when you give decision-making authority, you also give some guidelines. So I'm thinking of, like some common objections. Like one might be, well, how do I know if they're going to pick small group material that is compatible with our church's values and our beliefs? Well, one of the things you do is in the guidelines you give them, you, you say what you pick needs to be in line with what we believe and teach. And just know ahead of time, if you're not sure, come and ask me or an elder or whoever. If I find out later something like that has happened, part of my job as an elder or a pastor is we're, we're guarding the truth of Scripture. And so I may have to check back in with you if we wind up with something that's outside of those boundaries. You set that expectation up up front through a guideline. Another example. If someone's not getting back to you in the time that you wanted, give them a deadline ahead of time as part of your guidelines. We need a decision made on this by this date. And I'm also going to check back in with you halfway through this time period. So on the 15th, I'm going to check back in with you. Just see how it's going. See if you need anything. See if you have any questions. But I also, I need the decision to be made by the 30th. You're just clear about those kinds of things. You know, you're talking about delegating too. Like there's this great, I think it's called the 75% rule. If somebody can do something 75% as well as you, you should delegate it to them. Otherwise, you will be the bottleneck of your ministry. If your first objection to delegating and empowering someone else is they can't do it as well as I can, or they can't do it as well as so-and-so, your church is never going to grow if you don't give those people opportunities to lead and to make decisions. And then the final thing, you know, sometimes you talk about giving these guidelines. Sometimes the situation changes or the conditions change or the parameters change. And if that happens, after you've kind of sent them out, let them know right away if something's changed. Like, hey, guys, sorry. You know, (laughs) I actually just had this happen. I'm leading a cross-functional short-term team. I'm trying to think of all the lingo we used in episode 84.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's a lot of trigger words right there. Yeah, that's right.
0: So I was leading a team and some of our guidelines changed. So I let the team know. Our rules of operations, we've got some
1: updates to them, except I didn't say it in that geeky way. Anyway, okay, I'm rambling here. Yeah, you probably did. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. (laughs) Number three, which is our final point for today, is set up your meetings with processes and behaviors that encourage structured decision-making. Ryan, tell us a little bit more about that. That's a very loaded statement right there. Sorry about that. So tell us a little bit more.
0: So as you're making decisions as a group, it's probably going to be very difficult for your group to just like organically make decisions. And there's a couple of reasons. One reason is that like the first people to speak into a decision will be those who are quick to speak, those who are outspoken or who are very ready and willing to share their opinions or thoughts. And also those who tend to dominate conversation, who tend to talk more than others, they're not doing anything out of bad intentions, but just because of the way they behave and function. If you don't introduce some healthy behaviors and some structure around the way you make decisions, those people will make and influence your decisions. And that's probably a third or half of your team. The other two thirds or the other half of the team, they don't have a chance to weigh in when you don't have structure around how you make decisions. Here are some very quick tips or principles to keep in mind as you do that. So one way you can help involve a group in a decision is bringing a proposal with your problem. I was just talking with a leader on our synod staff, and he used this expression. He was working on a proposal, and he said, I don't like to bring problems to a board. I like to bring proposals. So he knew there was a decision to make, and he didn't want to be in the position of, hey, board, here's a problem. Here's a situation where a decision needs to be made. Good luck. Instead, he is bringing a suggested decision for them to consider. This is great for team meetings. It's great for elder board meetings. If you're part of a board of directors, for some other kind of an organization, this is a great rule of thumb. Where if you've got a problem or something you need to address, you've got to make a decision. One thing you can do is have somebody bring up a proposal, a suggested course of action to the meeting. And so, a couple of days ahead of time two to seven days ahead of the meeting, that proposal goes to the team and everyone gets to look at it and think it over. And that way, once you get to your meeting, you can spend your time, instead of all sitting around quietly, hearing about the problem for the first time and trying to think what in the world we're going to do to fix this. Instead, the group, have they've all been thinking about it on their own for two to seven days. Those people who like to have a little more time to think about things, who like to reflect, who don't want to be hasty, They're now going to have a chance to share their thoughts and you're going to get just a much broader array of feedback from your team. The other thing I would do with this too is just say when you have something like this, you know, proposals brought in, sometimes people will be afraid to like, oh, well, someone suggested we do this. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by voting against this. You as a leader may need to say, hey, I asked so-and-so to bring a proposal so that we don't have to waste time starting from scratch. So this is just a starting point. We don't have to go with this. Actually, what we want to do in this meeting is debate this. So what would be good about this decision? What would be bad? Does anybody have any thoughts on any other decisions, a way we can make this decision differently, you know, or a different outcome we should pursue? Somebody once said that meetings are for arguing, which is kind of like a little tongue in cheek, but meetings are not for sharing information that you could read in an email or report. Meetings are for discussion and debate and argument. They are for wrestling all in a civilized way, of course, but they are for wrestling through a decision together. That's really what's at the heart of our meetings and what's sad is that so many of our meetings are devoid of decision making. We pull all that out of our team meetings because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or step on people's toes or we just we rob ourselves of benefits of having a collaborative team. All right. Next thing you can do is informal consensus. That can be another way you can make decisions. So I guess my point here with this is if you can make a quick decision, go ahead and make a quick decision. You don't have to drag it out by creating a proposal. There are going to be decisions that you make where it can make it be very clear, very quickly. Like there's really one good course of action that we're going to pursue. And this seems like a pretty open and shut thing. We don't need to drag this out or deliberate on it. Feel free to just go ahead and and make that decision. And you don't even have to always vote as a team or a board. So you can use informal consensus. Just get a sense that the group seems to be agreed to kind of guide this kind of a decision. You may say, hey, we've been talking about this for a couple minutes. Seems like my impression is we all are kind of thinking along the same lines. If we're all good with this, let's make this our decision and move on to the next thing. That is also very, very okay. The next thing I want to share with you is that. Exact opposite of a very quick, informal decision-making process. And this is what I want to share with you. is something called nominal group technique. And there are all kinds of variations on this, and you can tailor this to your ministry. But basically, nominal group technique is a way of stopping and slowing down the decision-making process. So often when we make a decision, we sometimes will skip or hurry through certain steps that are important we may not even notice that we've skipped past them. And certain people will miss a chance to contribute when that happens. So here's how nominal group technique works. And we'll share a link to this in the show notes. But basically, here it is. First of all, you share the decision that needs to be made, right? You take maybe five minutes. Everyone thinks of one or more solutions or possible decisions or outcomes. Then you go around the room. Every member shares one idea. At any point you want to pass, you don't want to share an idea, you get a chance. But Every member shares aloud one idea. They put it up. Now, what's bound to happen is someone is going to point out something either that they like or they don't like, and they're going to shoot it down. And they're trying to be helpful because they noticed a problem. But what happens is they're going to kill the brainstorming spirit and the creativity in the room. So you say, hold off on your comments. We're not going to discuss these right now. I'm just going to brainstorm ideas and everyone's going to share their ideas. So, you go around the room doing that as many times as you need to to get through all the ideas. Or maybe you say, Hey, we're going to do this for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is up. We're going to look at the ideas that we have. Then, once all the ideas are up on the whiteboard or on your screen or whatever, then you're going to discuss the ideas. Then you can talk about the pros and cons of them. If you've got a thought about someone else's idea, that's when you can talk to them. If it was your idea and you're really strongly in favor of this, that's when you get to talk about it. So, you go around. And maybe during that process, you tweak and adjust certain things. If the person who suggested it is okay with that, you can make those changes. It may be obvious too that three or four ideas are actually the same idea. Boop, you can kind of merge them into one thing. Then you vote on them. And there's a a couple different ways that you can vote on an idea too. So you can use a technique called multi-voting. So that is where everybody gets five votes for their favorite choices, let's say. And they get to rank them. So let's say we're picking the color of the carpet for the foyer. So you're voting on the color of the church carpet. And 10 colors have been proposed in your redecorating team. And you've got to narrow it down to one. So you go around the room and you've got these 10 ideas out. Then you've discussed what you like or don't like about each of them. Then it's time to vote. So in this multi-voting technique, everyone gets five votes. So my top choice, I'm going to put a number five by it. My second choice, I'm going to put a number four. My third choice, I'm going to put a number three, right? And so on. So you go around like that. After everyone does that, you add up those numbers. The yellow carpet maybe got two points in the voting, but the gray carpet got 50 points. It's just a way of involving everybody in the decision-making process And allowing people to speak into multiple options that might be good, and yet it helps you make decision on one thing, that if you're just going to do debate, verbal debate, it could go on forever, it could get really ugly and personal.
1: I do like that form of getting people's opinion because it literally boils it down to just one vote as opposed to doing like vote what your favorite is, and then you have like five different favorites out of it, and then people are upset because they're like, Well, me and so and so and so and so pick this one as our top one, and it only got outvoted by one person, as opposed to seeing, like, okay, well, this got this many votes or this many points, I should say, out of the votes. And so, therefore, there's a clear consent precise winner on what it is. And you don't have to go revisit that situation, which is great. I think that's a wonderful idea.
0: And again, one of the repeat problems I see in teams and committees and all this kind of stuff is dominant people speaking up first, being very loud
1: and bold. Are you trying to say something about me, Ryan? I feel like you're personally attacking (laughs) me right now, Ryan. Is that what you're doing? Getting really worked up there now, aren't I?
0: No, but I just see this pattern. People trying to be helpful and they're unwittingly silencing a lot of the other people in the team. So this, when you've got a big decision and you've got some of those dominant people who speak first and speak loudly, as a result, others speak up less, this, it kind of short circuits those, it prevents those unhealthy patterns from continuing. Again, this is a very involved process. It takes time. You can use an adapted, faster version of this, but when you have a big decision, taking your time with something like this could actually save you from a church split. It's okay sometimes to take time with decisions. Last thing I want to say on this topic, I want to share some really powerful, what I'd call behavioral principles for your meetings that come from a book called Teams That Thrive by Ryan Hartwig and Warren Bird. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But they have five principles that they share in part of that book about decision making. These are behaviors that I think you want to encourage, model, and make sure are a part of your meetings. So if you're a team leader, one, encourage dialogue, encourage conversation about a decision. Let people talk and speak their minds. Second, you want to cultivate healthy conflict. So you want to make sure that it's okay in your meetings to disagree with each other. If it's not okay, what will happen is the disagreements will get aired in the parking lot after the meeting, or they'll get aired in these little triangulating one-on-one conversations that just cause division and gossip and don't help you make any decisions at all. So teach people how to air their disagreements in the meeting. Sometimes that might be to say, if no one's disagreeing, to say, hey, what if someone disagreed? Kind of set up a straw man. If someone were to disagree with this, what would they say? If someone were to criticize this, what would they say? Another thing you do when somebody says something difficult, like, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think that this person who can't sing should do the solo for the Christmas program we're planning. You as a leader have an opportunity to really encourage and thank people when they say the difficult things. Say, hey, thank you for saying that, I know we all love this person, we don't want to see them disappointed or hurt, and I know that what you said wasn't easy to say. Thank you for the sake of the team and the sake of this project or this ministry for being willing to say something that might be uncomfortable to say. So you encourage those healthy, open, honest conversations. The third thing is to listen to each other in equal amounts. So as a team leader, give other people time to talk and listen. And that means you as a leader, you don't do all the talking. Don't dominate the conversation. That you listen, you let everyone talk as much as you, and that you listen as much as everyone else listens. So listen to each other in equal amounts. And here's an opportunity for you to draw out those who might be quiet or more reserved, who might be holding back. The best ideas might be sitting with those people who might need you to call on them and ask them to share. But giving everyone a chance to speak, asking everyone to do an equal amount of listening can be really helpful. Two more things. One is taking a church-wide view of the decision. So you'll often have leaders come representing a specific ministry, or they might be thinking of something that their family would value. Ask all the leaders involved in the decision to make the decision in light of what's best for the church as a whole, not just the ministry that they work with. And then their last principle they encourage is to take your time in making the decision. And you you spoke to that earlier, Mike. We can't emphasize that enough. I've been in meetings where we have spent an hour talking about something very, very trivial that could have been an individual making the decision outside the meeting entirely. And we've spent five minutes discussing a decision that should have been given two, three hours or multiple meetings and quickly rush through, I've seen some of the most impactful decisions that have years and years of lasting effect be made in five minutes. It's kind of shocking to watch it happen. It's very okay to take your time in making the decision, in allowing there to be conversation, in allowing there to be discussion of that. That's what your team is there for. That's what leadership boards are there for. They're not to sit there and listen to information. They are there to collaborate, to work together, to find an outcome that works for your church
1: that's so awesome as a reminder and a refresher, because I guarantee you that there are different individuals who are going to be listening to this podcast saying that's not what our boards actually do. That's not what our teams actually do. They don't get together and talk through stuff. They just get together and just talk through the regular. Here's what it is. Here's this. Let's talk about this. Here's what we did last year. Let's do the same thing this year, as opposed to like talking about issues that can further things. They just talk about issues that kind of keep the status quo you know what i'm saying this episode is going to be a great refresher i hope to a lot of people that are listening so ryan thank you once again for sharing your knowledge with us thank you to our listeners for tuning into the show today don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you'll get notified when the next episode drops we'd also love it if you'd share this podcast with a friend or a colleague or a fellow congregant with you or even your pastor and we thank you for listening and we will catch you next time see you later
0: This has been an episode of the CLB Forge podcast brought to you by CLB North American Mission. Thanks for listening. We welcome your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at clbforge.org.